0: My name is Mary Ormsby, and I'm a reporter at the Toronto Star Newspaper.
1: Thanks for coming in, Mary. I'm glad to be here. I'm almost fanboying. (laughs) So I first became aware of you when you were on the radio. Well, that was a long time ago. With Bob McCowan. Mm-hmm. Um, now, was it, pri- it primetime or was it his morning show? Or It was
0: primetime sports, prime sports back when the, uh, the radio station was on Holly Street in Toronto.
1: 1430.
0: 1430, yes. And yes. I still have a baseball jersey oh, or softball jersey. This is 1430, the fan. And the odd time Bob invites me back on for basically like their 80th anniversary <laughs> type show, I show up wearing this and everybody goes, oh, 1430, that's hilarious. I miss you not being on that show anymore. Oh, well, thank you. But you know what? It is it is a show that was fantastic, and they treated me really well. But I haven't been in sports full-time probably for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I find that the first 25 years of my career, I was in sports full-time. Yeah. But when you get away from it, even for a little bit, yeah, I think you start to lose your edge. And uh. I felt that I was not really on top of things the way I would like to be. Yeah.
1: Do you are correctly. you do you ever go on the radio at all now or? Occasionally,
0: yeah. when I do go on, it's to do more with some of the writing that I've been doing the last decade or so, okay. which is features or investigations. But I still, as you know, I still veer towards sports when I can. Yeah. So those sorts of sort of like debriefs, on. yeah.
1: Did you enjoy your time on radio? Like, is there? I loved it. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. What was it about radio?
0: Th- I always felt there was, well, I was nervous at first, of sure, course, you yeah. know, but then when you get used to it, you realize, I think there's an intimacy mm. with just the, the, the format. Uh, there's no camera in your face, which I, I enjoyed not okay. having that around, you know? Yeah. Um, but then when you would get reader feedback, whether it was a call-in show or whether it was people, you know, getting you at, at the star, or I worked with Steve Simmons uh, at the, at the Toronto Sun. He's still there. Mm-hmm. So we did the co-host thing for a while, too. Okay. Uh, but I also found that people did like to respond to what you talked about. And as uh, radio allows you to chat about things in more depth and detail, and there's, uh, I think, even more of an honesty about it because it's coming right out of your brain and yeah. into the microphone. and There's not uh, editors in the way. Uh, that's true. And, and you're not quite as formal. I find, hmm. even though that, that doesn't mean you're not doing a wonderful job sure. presenting uh, news and facts and insight and uh, discussion on the radio. But I just felt it was a, a really lovely way to have conversations.
1: Yeah. And were you, I seem to remember you were an athlete in school. Is that correct? Well, that was like 40 years and 40, 40
0: pounds <laughs> ago. Um, so athlete, uh, hmm. <laughs> well, I ran, I, you know, when I was a kid, like a lot of kids, like I ran Fair. a lot of age group track and field stuff. I love track and field. I still do to this day. I love what, even if I don't know anybody who's uh, on the track or Ah. in the field or in the pits, anything like that. I I really love track and field. Um, But what I got into was volleyball. So I morphed from track when I got a little too heavy to be running the one and the two and couldn't get over the high jump bar anymore. (laughs) So I went to volleyball and ended up making uh, Canada's uh, junior national team. Awesome. And then... Canada's senior national team. Briefly, I was I wasn't there very long, and was able to somehow parlay that into uh, a scholarship at the Ohio State University for Look four years. You awesome! Know. Yeah. So I mean, lucky girl. Times a yeah. thousand million.
1: Yes. So I'm lucky. Before we leave radio, I have to ask you a question. I'm sure everyone asks you. The Bob McElwain we hear <laughs> on radio. <laughs> Is that really him? Well, well okay. Tell like me this. Tell me what, what, so tell me what you think two. of him. I, so I, I love Bob McCallum. I mean, I don't know him. Never, I've never met him, but um, he's always been my favorite radio guy. Um, but he's also like to his co-host. He's very curmudgeonly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the beautiful that a, is thing. That an, is that an, is that, is that is that Bob McCallum on radio, or is that Bob McCallum when you go to his house? He, uh, he he is an original. Yeah, he is such a pro. Yeah,
0: Bob will walk in to the studio with five minutes to air, and he'll sit down and say, well, "What do we got?" <laughs> really, <laughs> and then his you know his team helps him with notes and all that, and we're all sitting around going, "Oh, what's going on?" <laughs> but then the light goes on and, and away he goes. He's uh he's a delight. I always felt he. He was very charming with me and very chivalrous. Okay. Uh, he was curmudgeony to most other people because yeah, yeah, yeah. that works with him. <laughs> um, but he's a real, he, he is really a sweet guy. Yeah. But when I say he walked in with, it doesn't mean he, there was no preparation. Mm-hmm. I think Bob sort of uh, lives and breathes sports most of his waking hours, and yeah. I, you can tell that baseball is really strong with him, something like, like baseball and football and the, the major league stuff, and I would always uh, get really worried when it was baseball, because that was always, and to this day, is my weakest subject. I just cannot get my head around baseball, sorry. <laughs> but that's the truth, right? So I'd see we, if it was a baseball-heavy show, I'd start to freak out. But no, but Bob, uh, he's such a pro, and I could see the wheels turning sometimes, too, mm. when he uh, when he's thinking... He's watching and listening to the discussion, and yeah. sometimes he'll take a contrary position, and yeah, you can yeah. tell. But then he argues it so beautifully; it, he's he, he's amazing to to be around. And I've only been to his house once, and okay. I'll. Uh, did you get lost? Is, is it as it was, massive as everyone? It, it was a garg- it, is? It, it makes the Taj Mahal look ridiculous. It's a gargantuan abode with columns and drawbridges and platform diving and servants and butlers and all that kind of stuff. And uh, no, it's a huge place. And he was—he was very gracious. So he's a—he's a lot of fun. But he's a pro, and if, if he gets you know angry about something, he's going to let you know. But he's also you know he's kind of like old school gentleman as well.
1: Yeah. Nice, um, I was I was at a uh, Glass Tiger concert f- a few months ago, and he was like three or four rows in front of me, and I I, I just got so distracted, I was like watching the concert, <laughs> and then I look over, Baba, is what is he doing? Is he? <laughs> Did he have his sunglasses on? He. He had glasses. His no, lenses. he didn't have his sunglasses on. <laughs> he was wearing his glasses, and he was—he's a tall man,
0: isn't he? He's very tall. He he's, was
1: like the tallest guy in that room. Yeah, he's—he's
0: probably six three. I think wow. you know. And but you know, if you saw him, yeah, and go up and talk to him, he would love it. He's a really genuine guy. Okay. He would absolutely have to talk to anybody. All right. He—he would, he, he, you know. Please do if you see him again, you know.
1: If I bump into him at a Glass Tiger concert... That's right. Interrupt the set <laughs> and say, Excuse me. <laughs> nice. I miss... Yeah, he had this website at one point in time. Um, and he got rid of that. I, I get, I get, He was in between gigs. I'm trying the, to remember that, that. That rings a bell. Was it fadoo Fidu, Fidu, yeah, yeah. Fidu.ca. Yeah. I yeah, can't yeah. even remember what fadoo do-did. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I actually I contributed a few articles on that. Did you? back? Yeah. Did you get paid? No, oh. I did not. Oh no! I, I was trying to make a name for myself. Yeah, in 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 Will something. You, well, you've succeeded. Th- thank you. <laughs> um, but you've been with the star now since uh, since I was a young boy. Thank you for um, mentioning that. <laughs> I'm still young, so it's not still, me that's, too. is not been funny. that long. Um, but you've you what I
0: what since I 85. I've been there since yeah. 85. Was that the sun before that? A couple sun of years before that. Yeah.
1: Um, was was Steve Simmons there when you were there? No, I
0: missed Steve. Okay. No, no, I got out of town and went across the street to the Star, okay. and Steve came a little bit later.
1: Yeah. Well, the sun today mm-hmm. and the sun back then, same same place? Same sort of? I look at it now and I go, this is a really weird paper, really weird publisher. It just seems like well, a weird Well, Well, th- I,
0: I don't know if weird is the right word. I, I mm. would say things have evolved, and okay. as the industry is trying to Uh, find its way, Mm. you know, as traditional paper products are, are obviously on the way out and we're looking into a future that newspapers in general, at least in Canada, didn't really see coming, and that's you know the internet and things, podcasts, words that weren't available even like say twenty years ago. Yeah, uh, how yeah. In, in general how the newspaper uh, planners didn't see this coming, so now we're all scrambling. So I can't really speak to the sun so much as to, to what it is now. Other than like like a lot of us uh, in the business in North America and around the world staffs are much smaller you doing mm. you doing trying to do more with less and also trying to navigate these brand new waters that that you know the internet has brought to us and yeah. now you have to think a whole different way with younger people coming in who are already online and on stream and thinking that way they would never think of traditional journalism so no. you know their 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 careers are going to take off or their enterprise is going to take off possibly whereas we're still struggling to maintain traditional values in a new world
1: yeah as much as 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 much as things have changed, I'm sure things have also remained the same. Like you know, we have this president down south who uh, seems to be at war daily with the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, there's there's these journalistic traditions um, mm-hmm. of of how you do research, how you write, and and a whole process um, has. Has there been change to that, or has that remained the same?
0: It is something that has become even more important and more clear. Mm. Those rules, basic rules of journalism, truth-telling, diligence, um, s- seeking out information. Mm. And I would say if we're to do something that is m- maybe more bold and more prominent now, is that whenever we can find something like source information... Mm-hmm. For instance, let's say uh, you know uh, legal documents, yeah. something like that. You can now share it with the public in a way where we maybe couldn't do that. Say 30 years ago, we would write about something and say and and write a story based on like a court case, sure. you know, or civil or, or litigation. Um, and now we can actually put that online and let people see the source document themselves. Yeah. So that's one of those things. So you mm-hmm. can actually share with the reader almost in real time. Here's my story. Read my story. But you know what? Have a look at the, at the documents yourself or the material or, or what we're talking about or the photograph mm-hmm. and see it yourself or the video. Uh, so that, that is something that, you know, we're using and incorporating more into Trying You're to be sharing gate- your research material. Well, gatekeepers of information, you know, yeah. for the community, whatever your community is, whether it's your, you know, your your neighborhood or your city or your or your nation, mm-hmm. uh, depending on uh, how big you want to go. So, um, and also, it can be a confusing time for people. Like, what is you know, what is nonsense and what is reality, and what is a news story and what is opinion, and is is this blogger in her in her bunny slippers and jammies, is she? A real thing. Mm. It, it's hard for people to to know. Is she you know is she as real as somebody who is in the New York Times writing a column? Maybe, sure, maybe. Yeah. You know, but but so we're all kind of navigating this together as uh, you know j- you know journalism moves forward and readers are hoping to I think look to anchors that are are mm. true and credible. And, um, if you're, you know, when you've got a president, we have, you know, down South with our, our friends and, and neighbors down there calling, uh, the media and journalists enemies of the people. It's scary times. I think yeah. when people start doing that. I mean, you're in a position of power to start with your bully pulpit and start picking on certain groups in in that kind of way. So uh, in Canada, I think we need to heed what's going on in parts of the world. Mm. And the best defense for great journalism is to be as open and transparent and honest and sharing and good at your job as possible. Because, you know, people are wise. The readers and listeners are smart. They they will know, you know, they will grip onto something that is true.
1: Mm. What has kept you with... The star for all the all of these years. Very large mortgage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is that plural mortgage or More no? Mortgages? No, no, well, I'll I'll say one mortgage <laughs> for one a mortgage? safe face. <laughs> you know, I um, I never thought I'd be in it for this long. I started when I was twenty one. Yeah, at the at the Toronto Sun. So twenty one. You always year, wanted to be a writer, really.
1: especially a sports writer.
0: I did. Well, I, like a lot of kids, you have lots of different dreams, and for a yeah. long time, I thought I would like to be marine biologist. That, that was one thing I really loved. I uh-huh. don't for you know your listeners are probably far too young to remember Jacques Cousteau, mm-hmm. uh, you know, underwater exploration with this wonderful French, you know, researcher and uh, his family carried on the, and I, it would just take me to a dreamland, like, oh, yeah. if I could only be underwater and with the, uh, the, the fish and the whales and the sharks <laughs> and, and then try to get into ecology too because that was a big thing kind of in the 70s, you know, you know, peace, love, war, yeah, yeah, ecology, yeah. all those things. So I, I did dream of that and then when I got to university, I was also thinking about journalism. Mm. Is there a way to? Because uh, I'm kind of like bossy and curious, kind of like journalists are. You know, I want to know what's going on. And uh, I took one or two journalism courses, in my, you know, early on at uh, at Ohio State, and I, I loved it. And so, you know, I've described it before as you're a bit like a you know like a frustrated detective sometimes uh, as a journalist maybe a bit a social justice warrior as you know depending on what you start to r- reveal yeah and uh, just chasing down stories and finding out truth and sharing them with people you know so it's been a long time it's been almost 40 years you know doing this wow. um, sometimes I think I'd like to uh, slow down <laughs> but then but then the next good story comes by I go, oh I'm so excited about I this. this I like story. to dig into it and and uh, talk to people and yeah, yeah. I like it
1: so I want to ask you this about being an athlete. Um, so uh, Ohio State, you played volleyball mm-hmm. at Ohio State. So you're part of the NCAA. Would you have Be- been back then? I no. Oh, very nope? good. Oh, okay. you're good.
0: You're good. You know what? It was AIAW, and don't ask me what it stands for. <laughs> sure, it, it means not NCAA. So I graduated in 19, uh, Yeah, 1981, and I, I believe that fall, the movement was happening. I believe that fall— okay. They, they joined the NCAA proper or uh, it was the next year. So something like that. So I never played in the NCAA. never played?
1: No, so not you, in volleyball anyway. But you didn't get paid. I want to get to this whole paying these athletes. Um, I um, had a scholarship. Yeah. So Morgan Campbell, you're a colleague of yours. Yes, I love um, Morgan. He has this um, uh, column, I guess. Sports Prism Sports on, on Thursdays. Prism. Yes, yeah. it's excellent. I and really love it. he recently wrote a piece about this one athlete who's going from high school. mm mm-hmm was going to go to college, mm-hmm. um, left, said, no, I'm going to go play in uh, the NBA G League because uh, there was going to be some pay. Mm-hmm. And then he says, no, I'm going to go uh, some shoe company. I, I want to say New Balance, but maybe it's another um, shoe brand because he's going to get paid, I think it's $200,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. But it all stems from the fact that these athletes who, uh, as a group... Earn these universities millions of dollars, right? Uh, Especially, you know, the football program, the basketball program. I think those are the two big popular ones. Mm -hmm. Um, What are your thoughts on student athletes getting paid?
0: You've mentioned two of the sports, and I and I understand the argument about paying students. Uh, if you have a scholarship, for, for, the very, for a very long time I thought a scholarship was enough because it paid for university and, it, and it's an expense. And uh, t- to get an education really should be a right, but it's, you know, not a lot of people can Fair, make, yeah. you know, swing that even if you have a partial scholarship or whatever. But when you're talking about paying athletes, most people, in my opinion, are only talking about men. Mm. Males who play football and males who play basketball. They don't really care about anybody else, in my opinion. if can you imagine if someone said, Let's play the let's pay the girls' volleyball team a hundred thousand dollars each a year? <laughs> you know, each player? I mean, come I on. No no but, but that. the reality no, but is, you're right. like, the reality is, is it's the guys or maybe a few track and field athletes and then Yeah. You know, But the other part of that is coaches are making, some coaches are making extraordinary amounts of money. Uh, I see that. So maybe the the older I get, maybe there's a a compromise or some type of pension fund, as opposed to paying Mm. them outright. Mm. Is there something for athletes who do contribute to university and maybe everybody would get a formula? I don't know how that would work. Or maybe it's straight across the board. Everybody would get some payments. Something they could tap into later in life. Mm. Um, that would be something that I think might work, but then I'm a lot older than a lot of people in school right now. Who say I want the money now because tomorrow may never come, and I need to you know put a, a down payment on a house. But
1: yeah.
0: but it it can be a slippery slope because like I said, are you talking about women? Probably not. Are you talking huh. about the field hockey team or the synchronized swimming team? No. Oh come on! Do we include cheerleaders? So how about true. the how about the marching band? Uh, you know because because there's money there for some of the uh, the fine arts students too so Mm. it's it's not as simple to me as saying yeah pay everybody because that's a good thing on top of their scholarship yeah but maybe there is something more you can do for them you know, get them through get them their education get them their degree which is the most important thing I think yeah get your education socialize and maybe put away a little bit of money like I said either it's a pension or a Trust fund or something you can tap into a little later.
1: Yeah, and Inter- You know, I never thought about. We're only talking about the guys. We're only talking about these two sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's I that is true. <laughs>
0: yeah. Being a female athlete who yeah. played a sport that nobody ever paid to watch back in the day, I, I can tell you that. yeah. I mean, that's
1: I that's how I feel. No, I you know it's very interesting the way I look at things. Um, a, a coworker of mine. Uh, so I'm I'm a. I take public transit a lot, um, and a coworker of mine, she literally lives like one subway stop from work, mm-hmm. um, and she drives in. and I and I tease her. Um, and I <laughs> I don't tease. I say seriously, like you live like you you can't walk that seven minutes to the station, mm-hmm. and then take whatever, like a two minute subway ride. You you actually drive. You know, you're the reason why there's so much congestion. Yeah, it's um, her fault. Yeah, but then she she tells me stories of. Uh, you know, she'll be on the subway and there's someone yelling. And I go, yeah, someone yells, so what? But then she, but then she forces me to look at it as a woman, the mm-hmm. way she looks at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I go, you know, in terms of maybe the fear that she feels or the isolation. And, and then I, I stop myself and I go, there is something to be said about the way we look at things. We look at things through our own lens.
0: Of course. How can you do it any other yeah. way? Yeah.
1: But then if we, you know, we, we're, we're just coming out of an election, and I think next year we've got another election. Mm-hmm. I'm tired now of all these elections. <laughs> um, and I, I think we, as, as as people, need to look at things through various lenses. We can't and we shouldn't look at things through our lens, because then we'll only be looking out for, for whoever we see in the mirror. But if we take the time to look at things through other people's lenses, we can then understand... Um, you know, what we need to do, whether it's about public transit or education or whatever the case. It is maybe and,
0: and that is something too, like, like obviously you look at things the way you, you live your life every yeah. day, right? That's the first thing because, sure. you know, you're first and foremost, you're about yourself. That's what everybody is on the planet. But when you have a chance to maybe, as you've just described, think about somebody else in their shoes. you go, Oh, okay, maybe for her, she's uh, afraid, uh, has fears. L- and someone like me, I have no fears on the subway. You know, <laughs> well, I don't. I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't bother about that. Yeah. And I, I, I drive to work, but I also take the subway quite a bit and walk around the city when I can. But... Also with age comes mm. another way to look to look at lenses as well sure. you know because now I'm looking at if I was at Ohio State and still you know I went down there when I was 17 so yeah. I went down early I didn't go to grade 13 that existed back then everybody wow. <laughs> was young <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, I might have said, "Yeah, pay me. I could use some cash." Of course. So now I'm pushing sixty, and yeah. I've got four kids who are, you know, university age ish, and I'm thinking, "Oh my God, don't give them any money. <laughs> are you kidding me?"
1: You know exactly where it's put gonna it go. in. Put
0: it in your <laughs> retirement <laughs> savings fund, you young whippersnappers. But 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 you know what I mean. So with with age too, it's not just you know, the life experience you've got. You say, how yeah. do you protect your kids? How do you protect your young, your, your young athletes? And how do you best look out for them? So, yeah. so there's that lens as well.
1: Wow. Are your kids athletes?
0: Yes, they Austria? are. Yeah. I had three boys and a girl. And, um, my oldest boy, uh, went to Siena college, which is a university outside of Albany, New York. Okay. And he played field lacrosse there after okay. a, a, a billion years playing hockey. You made that change. Uh, oh, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Look at my hair. All that. Uh, and then my, and my second son is at uh, Queen's University. He played okay. major junior for a while. And then he's okay. at Queen's University playing hockey there and hopefully going to class. And uh, <laughs> my, my other boy, um, and they'll play lacrosse. and also field lacrosse and box lacrosse and, and hockey. And my other boy is uh, now working and is going to become a firefighter. Oh, wow. So that's his, his dream. And I've got a daughter in uh, high school. Okay, And uh, she's made a verbal commitment to go to San Diego State University to play field lacrosse and has stepped out of hockey this year to concentrate on that in school and and she runs a bit of track and field as well. Where did
1: lacrosse come from?
0: Well, in the part of Toronto that we live in, and the East End down in the beaches area, okay. uh, we moved there in, in '96, and um, we had our first boy was about, about four years old. We're walking through the beach area, like, yeah. like the first or second day we were there, and we saw people playing lacrosse, and we said, "Oh, that's weird. What's this?" And they're playing outside, yeah. and so that's how you know it's something in that. It's a bit of a niche sport in some ways. Yeah. You know, some neighborhoods play lacrosse yeah. a lot. And uh, and that's how we got into it. Oh wow! It's a it's you know it's such a fun sport. I mean sure. I've never I didn't get beaten up playing it, but I mean why <laughs> my kids? Because you got the box version of it, you know, inside hot hockey arenas in the summer, and then the field game, which is very nice too. I mean it's uh, there's you know for boys it, obviously there's a lot more contact yeah, yeah. and and hitting and things like that, but but girls play with less gear on than the field version. And, um, but there's a lot of contact too. I mean, there's, there's, there are broken fingers and wrists and smashed up noses and things in uh, wow. the girls game as well. Well, you're swinging those sticks and sometimes you're going to connect the flash. You're going to hit someone's
1: head. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, nice. Well, hopefully they'll, uh, they won't have those same discussions around paying athletes. They'll, they'll focus on. Not if I have on, anything to do <laughs> with it.
0: Put it in your retirement fund. When did you <laughs> stop writing about sports? Uh, it was right around the time uh, my daughter was born, my fourth child was born. And, and quite frankly, was my husband uh, works at the Star as well. Oh. His, name, his name is Paul Hunter. And he oh, yes. he covered uh, he the, the NHL too. for a very long time, yeah, yeah. Uh, covered the Leafs. So and that was back when the Leafs were in the West uh, Western Conference, if you can believe oh, that. Oh, that's right. That yeah, was weird. I know. I mean, Weird times, <laughs> a thousand million, of course. And, and so road trips didn't mean, you know... You know, just going down the street, it was, uh, you know, St. Louis. <laughs> That's and, right. Like, so he'd be gone a long time. So I had three little kids at home. And then I had a fourth one. And I just said, oh, my God, I cannot keep up this. Because at that point, I'd been covering, you know, I think Raptors and CFL. It, it, you know, in sports, as you know, I mean, it's a lot of nights and weekends. Yeah. You know, and uh, sometimes afternoon practices or whatever, and travel as well. And uh, so I kind of took a desk job for a little while while my daughter was young. Mm-hmm. So I was the assistant sports editor for a couple of years. Okay. Which I liked and I hated at the same time because I was yeah. so bored. I mean, I, like, I, I love everybody I was working with. But I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sitting at a desk. Somebody, yeah. you know, smack me. <laughs> this is horrible. Um, and then I got out of that after a couple of years, and they asked me, would you like to move into features? Yeah. And, and I did. So I said, yeah, sure, I'd like to get back to writing. And I think, you know, she was in daycare by then, and, and everything was cool, so I got back yeah. into writing.
1: And that's more, you t- sort of, I don't want to say you take your time, but you know you've got time to investigate time to research before a piece goes out it can be sometimes yeah. it can be a day oh wow okay
0: but 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 in sports if you're covering you know game stories you know you know done you know write for second edition you're done So it's a very quick hit, and then, or it's an off day story for a sports uh, event. You know, it's hockey, Raptors, whatever. You know, you you do your story and you're done. You move on. Mm -hmm. And you're right. With a feature, sometimes you take an issue, and then you have to do a lot more. You can't just go into the locker room and talk to guys. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? You think, oh, this is about something to do with I don't know. some science science story yeah. you have to find an expert in this or find out somebody who's you know who's got a problem with this other thing so it, it does take a bit more time mm-hmm. so they in a, a good feature can take like I said a day or two or sometimes it can take a couple of months or sometimes yeah. it can take a couple of weeks you know wow. That's, it just depends and some of sure. them are investigative in, in nature and those ones are the ones that take a little bit longer
1: yeah Do you, what was your first feature that you wrote do you remember
0: uh, it was something to do with medicine. Uh, it was a father and a daughter uh, who worked in a hospital in downtown Toronto. And I, I can't exactly remember what they did, but it was to do with the Father's Day story. And oh. uh, it was really sweet. And it also scared the crap out of me because it was the first kind of non sports story I'd really ever done okay. in my whole life. And if anybody budding journalists are out there, like... I used to say, oh, I just love sports, I want to stay in sports my whole life, but and then I wanted to branch out a little bit. Then I realized how ill-equipped I was to mm. do anything really except sports. And I thought, I don't know anything about anything. And that was a really horrible feeling to have when you're in your 40s. It's like, oh, no, I'm going to be found out. Yeah. Uh, so that was a, oh, I'm not sure I would say a quick learning curve, but, I mean, I stumbled a lot doing other things. So if uh, young journalists are out there, if you can try to do a lot more things and expand your experiences, even if you love, let's say, science or you love sports or you love the, the, the political genre of, of writing, try to do other things as well. Yeah. You know, because when it came to, you know, something as simple as going to look up a court case in downtown Toronto, I think I had to turn to about four different people and say, how do I do this? Wow. Yeah, more or less, you know.
1: Hmm. And that can be scary at times.
0: Well, the, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, being found out and then and realizing I don't have as many skills as I thought I did. Yeah. You know? But uh, the newsroom is a good place because it's uh, you know a, a newspaper is an organic thing, as is you know um, most journalism mm-hmm. changes every day, every minute, especially now. You know, every minute or every hour with with the internet up there now. Yeah. But even in the old paper days, every day was a new it was a new birth. Yeah. Right, so it's everyone's in it for uh, the game and, and the deadline kind of mm-hmm. thrill.
1: So everyone helps out. Yeah. So you've, you've mentioned, you know, now the internet days before was just, just paper, and I'm sure there have been changes now that, you know, you could be published online first and then your story shows up in the paper or it's in the paper. It happens, yeah, very you, good, right? Yeah. It does happen, um, yes. So there's that, but then there's also now, so now the Toronto Star, after I don't know how many years, now they've got a paywall. Uh, or partial paywall, I guess, Mm -hmm. after five articles. Um, And and you've also got other entities out there, right? So it's not just you're in Toronto, you've got the Star, the Sun, the Globe, the Mm -hmm. Post. Mm -hmm. It's now, you know, in Toronto, you could read from anywhere you want in the world now. Right. Um, I'm sure it's changed for the people that sit in the high offices. (laughs) Um, How has that impacted, like, the work that you do? On a
0: day-to-day basis, it doesn't really. But okay. in the back of our minds, we realize that it's not quite hand-to-hand combat out there, but yeah. we are fighting for survival in an internet world that I think in general newspapers are relate to. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't get in there and recognize the huge shift that a lot of other people did recognize, and we didn't. So now we're we've got this paywall up, and we're really trying hard to get readers who'd had sure. the star for free mm-hmm. online for so long. Now we're asking them to pay. And, you know, as a, as a customer, as they're called now, I like to call them readers, but yeah. as a customer, that's asking a lot of people. So you're asking them to, to pay for something that was free. Yeah. Because, but, but our hope is, look, our journalism, we believe is, is really, really good it reflects the community. It looks at issues that are important to you. We mm-hmm. have sports. We have entertainment. We're going to have breaking news. We're going to give you investigations and features and things that, you know, you are telling us you want us to to write about mm-hmm. and hope that they will say, yes, I'm on board. i yeah. like to be an informed citizen. I want to be... Up on the news, I, you mentioned elections. You know, it's not yeah. everybody's cup of tea, but if you sure. believe in casting your, your ballot for somebody or some party or, or whatever it is, your school trustee, mm-hmm. you might want, where would you turn to get that information generally? So you want to look at, you know, whatever, uh, it's a newspaper, a radio station, podcast, mm-hmm. uh, you know, television network, you know, you're going to turn to something to try to get yourself informed.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about politics. A bit. You wrote a piece on Patrick Brown, uh, I think, after he was elected mayor. Um, mm-hmm. What a story. It's interesting. He goes from being the leader of the PC. I, I had this written down because we did a show on, not on him, but on the election. He goes from being the leader of the PC Party. Right, the Ontario PC uh, Party, uh, right. Preemptive favor to win, right? Because everyone mm-hmm. was saying, uh, you know, it's it's been too long now for Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals... You know, we we need a change. There would there seemed to be no rhyme or reason, in my opinion. Um, but we had seen enough of red. It seemed um, to uh, resigning because of uh, a sex scandal. If that's correct, that he denies. That he denies. Uh, yes, yes, of course. Yes, he denies um, the accusations. He so he resigns, but then he comes back and runs. Then he drops out again. Um, Ford then runs. He wins the PC. Party, mm-hmm. He wins the Ontario election. Patrick Brown comes back and wants to run for the Peel chair, I think. That's right. Um, that gets eliminated. <laughs> well, Ford eliminates Ford eliminated chair. that. He gets rid of all that. Um, so Patrick Brown goes to, from what I've been told by insiders, is his father's home base or one of his father's home base in Brampton. Um, mm. And so uh, gets the backing of the, of the Brown family. Uh, and whatever political machinery is there, um, and he wins the mayorship, um, while Toronto gets approximately fifty percent less representation in, yes. in, in in their local government. Mm-hmm. Um, so if Patrick Brown was just a decent guy, we wouldn't be in this pro- <laughs> in the problem that we have. Um, he, he may very well be a decent guy. You got to be yeah, careful. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, the people of
0: Brampton thought so. so.
1: Yeah. What lessons... Do you think we learn any lessons from all of this?
0: You mean a man emerging from a, 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 yeah. a difficult place in the political spectrum to come back as, yeah. as, a, as, and, and as re- a mayor? like
1: quick fashion, not like he yeah. went away for years mm-hmm. and re- rehabbed if, if that's what he needed to do. It's like he was here... You turn the page, he was gone. You turn the page, he's a mayor of another city now all of a sudden.
0: Yes. Uh, well, you know, politics aren't really my area of expertise, but just from, from watching what happened that night. Um, I actually wrote a story about him just from the Star Newsroom. i got to tell you the secret here. I, wasn't, I hmm. wasn't there that night, but we were watching the votes come in. Yeah. Right? And uh, the polling stations report. And uh, right after they closed, uh, it was sort of tight. Yeah, and it was it was tight anyway at the end of it, but but he very quickly uh, barged ahead with about forty four percent of the uh, v- vote, and I think Linda Jeffrey, who was the incumbent mm-hmm. who who lost, uh, had about forty or forty one percent, and that held, you know, that held. I mean, so he, he held on to that. Yeah. What we sort of learned through that was well, first of all, he was very popular, but you know, he really seemed to work. Visiting people and and nineteen twenty events a day. Sometimes he mm. was going out there, and obviously there was some some appeal. And I guess I guess if there's a lesson out there, it's like if you've got some difficulty happening in your life, he just didn't take no for an answer. He yeah. just kept coming back at it. Hmm. And everyone thought his his political career was was in ruin mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year, and now look, he's
1: got you know got a nice chain of office. Strange. Strange days. Well, we are living in strange days, <laughs> Um, George Shavallo. Um, Yeah, I wasn't old enough, or I'm not old enough to have witnessed uh, um, his fight with Muhammad Ali, which sort of cemented him, it seemed. Uh, mm-hmm. Cemented him in local or national folklore. Internationally, even. Internationally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to have fallen, or he has, I guess, fallen. His health, especially, these
0: days? Well, he's, days. He, he, he's uh, 81 years old now, yeah. and he's been battling dementia for a couple of years. And uh, so, so that's an issue, yeah. you know. And uh, he's, you know, to, just to make it very, you know, concise, he's kind of in a court battle, too, you know, with his his, his wife of 24 years, 25 mm-hmm. years, wants him to live with her and his grown children want him to be taken care of in a, in a different manner. And there's a divorce action involved as well and there's dementia and it's very difficult for someone who was such an iconic figure yeah. uh, to, to be in the middle of this kind of a family tug of war.
1: Yeah. who For, for those of us who don't remember... Um, or we just know about George Chevalo from your writing mm-hmm. um from a college from stephen brunt 's writing is Stephen well as, brunt's
0: covered him the best yeah yeah
1: um who was
0: or who is George chevalo George Chevallo is on one hand an iconic athlete
1: mm-hmm.
0: he was never knocked down in his boxing career, and he boxed a lot i can 't remember what his record is off the yeah. top of my head, but it 's like I don't think you would box that, <laughs> many, no. that much these days anymore. And as an amateur, he—he he, uh, or as a young man, he, he boxed a lot as well. Yeah. And, uh, but his the other part of his story, he's a very complex man, is the horrible, the tragic part of his yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. With the deaths of his children. Mm-hmm. He had five children. And... Uh, Three of the sons were involved in drug-related deaths. Three of them. Three of them. It's just heartbreaking. Um, one, one son um, shot himself in the home. He was f- battling addiction. And uh, two other of the boys, they were adults at that point, um, was, uh, you know, drug uh, overdoses. Hmm. And his wife, Lynn, took her own life, too. She just apparently could not take the heartbreak of after the second boy yeah. was found dead. This crushing human uh, blow to George, he, you know, talk about absorbing punishment like that. mm mm-hmm but then he was able to turn around and i and i just don't know how people do these sorts of things he tried to turn it around and then reach out to canadians as an anti-drug advocate mm-hmm. and spoke to people and children and tried to hammer home the message this is what's happened in my life don't let it happen to yours yeah and was you know accepted i think as Someone who had, like, I would say, two careers in Canada. the the mm. ath- the, the athletic career is always there, and when I yeah. when I see him, I've seen him a couple of times this year. People still say, "Hey, champ!" and they put the hands up and all that. and, and he, you know, he react, He loves to see people recognizing him for that. Yeah. But some of the work that he did with the, uh, you know, for the anti drug campaigning and trying to reach out to people, um, all across Canada, and tried to provide some help with his wife, uh, his second wife at the yeah. time, um, uh, Joanne. Uh, that was part of their their time together was was doing that so uh, it's 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 difficult, and I think that story touches a lot of people who have and this is where sport can sometimes spread out to just beyond you know the sporting arena mm. if you've got a parent or uh, a relative who's got dementia or has developed some sort of you know alzheimer's or whatever so uh, the care for again, his life is in the public eye again because, you know, he's got these this, yeah. this court action going on and he's, you know, how, how do you best care for George Chevalo at this point in his life when he really can't be, you know... On his own too much. Yeah, Uh, I think people can relate to that if you've had someone in your family that you've had to look look after, or maybe they've passed away, or how do you proceed as you see someone starting to fail? Yeah, those are realities in life. That uh, so again, I think you don't necessarily have to be a boxing fan or fan of George Chávez, but that story might draw you in. It it? is, it is, and it's it. it If a family is affected, obviously by uh, on a broader, you know, there's a ripples to a family looking after someone who's who's got those. You know, cognitive
1: issues. Yeah. Do pe- have you heard people call for? You know, a lot of people say, "Is this boxing related? All the hits to the head." And they have said the same thing about Muhammad Ali. Um, but I mean, I've had a grandmother go through a similar issue, where you know it was, you know, she's passed now, but you know, she didn't she didn't recognize. Sometimes she wouldn't recognize you. Mm-hmm. Um, like. It was years since she had last properly spoken or been mm-hmm. able to take care of herself. Oh, boy. I'm sorry um, to hear that. But, you know, it's it's sort of, I don't want to say it happens to everybody because it doesn't happen to everybody. But mm-hmm. my grandmother definitely <clears throat> was not a boxer. Um, but have you no. heard these these sort of calls for what do we do about combat sports and concussion protocols and everything Yeah, like that?
0: well, that's been going on for a while. And I, and I think in general that concussion awareness uh, is, is becoming... You know, more widely known, there's education out there mm-hmm. for, for part of it, but I've done some stories on concussion science, and they're making great strides, but they still don't know about everything, you know, w- does your common sense tell you that if you're a boxer that you might develop some sort of brain trauma or accumulated brain trauma over your uh, career? Well, it possibly for sure, you know, a, mm-hmm. more than a golfer would. Does that necessarily mean that every boxer is going to have some sort of dementia or, or cognitive uh, decline? Don't know, right? Yeah. Um, you can get bad concussions heading a soccer ball. Yes. Those sorts of things. You know, some, or, some or,
1: players wear that cap.
0: Yeah, but that might not even work because the whole idea of a uh, of the brain is the brain's you know rattled ra- rattled around. around you know so yeah. wearing a big foamy hat like a big cheese head or something yeah. probably not going to help you it's the brain that's moving around and bashing off things so it, it's hard to say but I mean there's there's common sense so you, you asked about George Shivalo and, mm-hmm. and others like him I would say even the the, the best scientist in the world would say don't really know for sure because we can't get in there. And as you know, until after, yeah. until after at this point, the, I think that's going to change. But Right now, only autopsies can reveal the real yeah. you know, tangles of the tau and everything, all the proteins that have been spilt and, and, and the plaques that form when there's been uh, brain traumas, mm-hmm. uh, brain injuries. Uh, but at some point, I know the, the science world and researchers are really looking into getting, to be able to see inside your head so you can see mild and moderate uh, concussions and brain traumas. Because you can see the severe ones. Yeah. You know, like been, you know, if there's been an, an axe in your head or something, you can see that. But they're trying to get in there so it's not so invasive, but they can somehow go through with whatever form of x-ray or ultrasound or super secret thing they're working on now to do that, to help people and maybe try to intercede or use some sort of interventions that can slow it down or yeah. reverse it. I don't know if they can reverse it, but... Mm.
1: Slow down. Yeah. The Chavalo the story is, is uh, it's got its peaks and it's got its valleys. That's for sure. It's got, you know, someone who had an amazing career, mm-hmm. fell upon hard times, came back, mm-hmm. multiple times, came back. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely a, uh, a, a someone I think Canadians can feel proud of.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, right. he's, he's got that in him. If he,
1: if he would walk down the street
0: right now, you know, obviously, with with his family with him, and yeah. people would be shouting at him and hailing him and all that. No, he's 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 someone that I believe Canadians hold dear.
1: Yeah, I still remember 1988. I think I was standing watching the hundred meter race. What in your playpen? How old were you in '88? I don't know. I don't want to say. <laughs> That's okay. In, in Scarborough, watching a small little color TV. Oh, I'm TV. from Scarborough too. Okay, nice. Um... And, and watching him win, and I don't know, mm-hmm. was it five or ten minutes before, he raises his hand and he looks over to the side over his shoulder. And I remember thinking, no, 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 not yet. Cross the line first. But he, you see the replays, and he just demolished. Ben Johnson demolished right. the he, field.
0: He flew out of the blocks. Yeah. And as he was just... Powering through that race with about I don't know four or five strides to go, throws up his arm as you said. Yeah, slow down. He turns to gloat. Yes, (laughs) Carl Lewis, and uh, history was made. It was a world record time. He broke his
1: own world record. Nine point seven nine, right? That was that's right. That was his time. And then I don't know, one or two days later, um, I can't remember the guy. Brian Williams, I think, announces. That uh, I, the word that no Canadian ever had ever heard, Stenazolol, I think. Stenazolol. Stenazolol. Mm. Um, I'd never heard it. No. And then I just realized after reading your article that Ben Johnson and many people for the first time actually saw the test. I did not realize that no one had actually seen... The actual results they just took for work. he tested for that? okay fine yeah
0: you so see you're talking about the time in 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 Seoul so he gave his uh, sample after the race because back then the only testing was done on race days now, yeah. now it's now done during training as it should have been done all along mm-hmm. and uh, he he was the the A sample was flagged as positive and then the B sample was flagged as positive so therefore it's a positive and when he was def- being defended or or you know they were trying to make the case that this couldn't possibly be and all this you're you're correct the canadian team did not have the actual lab report yeah in front of them when they were trying to defend him so they did not actually have the evidence or some of the evidence in front of them mm-hmm. and that was what I wrote about like 30 years later in this other story. And that only came about because a couple of years ago, like if I was so brilliant, I should have asked in 1988, but I wasn't. So no genius here. Uh, But a couple of years ago, I said to Ben, by the way, um, can I see your lab report? And he said, I don't have it. And that's what sort of put me on this journey to find it. And uh, and when we saw the lab report, we just raised questions about, you know, some of the alterations to it and handwriting across it. And also... Why didn't anybody
1: who would you would have thought that like, at the time? Okay, let's see the results.
0: Yeah, no. To that, be to be fair, the the uh, the um, medical doctor, the Canadian medical doctor, did ask for Because so I have a, a fax uh, from 1988 where he was asking the IOC for that report, but clearly he didn't get it. He he, he faxed yeah. the IOC and said, "This was after Ben had been sent home." Yeah, I said, "Please, I asked for them on the uh, on the day we had to defend them." And, uh, and Ben had already been sent home, and two days later, the doctor was still asking the IRC for the lab results, mm-hmm.
1: and they didn't provide it. Was this par for course? Like, is this how things worked, do you know, back then, where you tested positive or whatever, and they tell you, and it's like, okay? Like, you just take their word for it?
0: I think probably back then, don't forget, so few people tested positive in Seoul. Only 10. Hmm. Only 10 during the competition. Yeah. Only one in athletics. One! Ben hmm. Johnson, that was yeah. it? A couple of weightlifters and uh, somebody, a fencer, modern pentathlon, something like that. Yeah, Kind of like weird stuff. And then Ben. Uh, so I think that testing wasn't exactly new. They'd been doing nope. it yeah. uh, for almost a decade at, at a high level. And the, the 1983 uh, Pan Am Games in Caracas, I think, was one of those where they were clearly the scientists had been making some big breakthroughs and could catch people. Um, but I, I guess... No one thought to ask for it, or they were in such shock
1: mm-hmm. that they didn't
0: ask for it at the time. But I often wondered, well, why didn't they ask afterwards, Sure. just to see it, and to be you know to be fair and to be clear, the next year the Dubin Inquiry was the federal commission that was called to look into you know this matter and the extent of uh, performance-enhancing drugs being used by Canadians. So Charles Dubin was the uh, the justice and uh, you know heading up, presiding over that commission, and in. Um, the summer of 89, a German doctor who was an IOC member, he brought over Ben Johnson's lab reports mm. and it was entered as an exhibit okay. into the Dublin Inquiry you know, pan- you know, pantheon of, of exhibits sure, like, sure. A, of a gabillion things. And I was covering it um, back then and I, I, I'm i not sure I was there that day or not. I, I might have been, but you know, if I was then, oops, I didn't think to ask to, to see it. Yeah. I, I'm not sure we could see it. It was just entered as an exhibit. I'm, I, did anyone ever look at it? I don't think anybody did, but the doctor yeah. brought it over and sort of said, well, here's this, here's that, here's that, you know, case closed, too sure. bad for you. And so they entered it as an exhibit. So anyway, I was able to track that down 30 years later because it was still in storage. Uh, wow. up somewhere up near Library and Archives in Gatineau, or, uh, Gatineau area. Mm-hmm. And we tracked it down through the exhibit list, and then we we asked the librarians to find the lab report, and then other things on the exhibit list that looked interesting, such as the doctor's facts, asking for the information. So, you know, some people would say, well, it might not have done any, made any difference anyway, because very clearly, his urine sample had the metabolites of the steroid in it. Yeah. Okay, so that's all right. I, You know, I, I, I accept that. I'm no scientist. But the other stuff surrounding... His test like mm-hmm. all these alterations and scratch outs, and nothing noted, and uh, the ne- th- another uh, steroid being on the documents as well. Like, how was this explained? You know, mm-hmm. I just think things that may have raised a few key questions, yeah. <laughs> at a very key time for a vulnerable guy whose life ended up being quite crushed by that by that result.
1: Yeah, it seems times have changed. I mean, I remember. In baseball, they had an inqu- inquiry as well, um, and I remember, you know, I was a new father at the time, and I was upset with the Blue Jays, because <laughs> I, I think there was a, a maybe a Blue Jay or two that was apparently on this list of people who apparently um, had never tested positive, but were, were customers of this one lab. I don't know if it was out of Miami or something, mm-hmm. um, and writing to the Blue Jays. How do I explain this to my son? We're not going to buy tickets anymore. You did that? Yeah. Wow. And never heard back. But, <laughs> um, but it seems you take steroids, you, you deny it a couple of times, That fine, I'll do it, you sit out a year or two, mm-hmm. and then you come back. <clears throat> um and I and I understand that Ben, you know, he sat out his time. He came back and he tested positive again, mm-hmm. uh, which I think he denies still. He just dis- he disputes that because
0: yeah. I, I can't remember all the details exactly. But I think there were like three tests in a row because he knew he was going to be tested. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the the first test was negative. The, the third test was negative, but it was the one in the middle. And I and I'm sorry, I just can't remember all the details. But yeah. it was the one in the middle that was problematic. And he, and he says, "Well, oh my God, like." How could that possibly be? But by then, yeah. the die was cast, and and he it was... It was a second it, time, right? It was unfortunate. He was a laughingstock, and nobody would listen to him a yeah. second time. So even if he had another incredible story as to how would this possibly be, yeah. nobody was listening to him. And uh, and that's such, uh, you know, it, it's such a shame in many ways because, yes, and again, here we go the lens of being older, right? Back in the day, the Devon inquiry I thought, oh, my God, what a cheater, you know? You know, black and white, and and this was all very new news to everybody at the time. You know, athletes testifying under oath to, but their drug use, even athletes who had never tested positive. Like, they get an inquiry, and they told the truth. Um, I look at it so much differently now and over the the decades, because he committed no crime. Fair. He did not commit a crime. He broke a rule in a sport. An amateur sport and he was vilified. He was such a trophy catch for the anti doping movement for decades. And so they they just hold up his head, say, Hey, look at this guy, you know. And then when you start to ask a bit more, you know, ask a bit more about well, what actually happened and how well was he protected and defended, who stood up for him and Yes, we realize he, you know, he broke the rules. Others did too. So why did he pay such why is a he the, massive yeah. price? Uh, so, you know, maybe it's having my own kids as well. And I think, oh, my mm. God, if it had been my kids, I would have hoped that everyone would have tried their very best to to defend him that day. And if they had and it had been successful, the Dublin inquiry never would have happened. He would have kept his gold medal. He would have been a, a multi-billionaire probably from that one race but it didn't turn out that way. But again mm-hmm. I go back to it and it was actually Angela, Angela Izajanko, who was one of his teammates. Yes. She was one of the ones to say almost from the very beginning, he committed no crime. None of us did. And I thought, "Oh, she's right." <laughs> We're treating them of like criminals. No, we do, and don't they we? didn't they didn't really do anything don't wrong yeah, yeah. other than, uh, you know, they break a, rule, break a sport, r- rule.
1: And people break <sighs> rules in sports every day. Days. well so as a degree right there's yeah
0: and as we found in mental race were implicated in some way shape or form mm-hmm. uh the race of ben ran uh, with drugs yeah performance enhancing drugs excuse me not drugs and yes, we've yes. learned to that people t- and still to this day are, are testing positive whatever the sport is you know of uh, course there's the so it's still happening and they're still yeah. using the same uh and the same arguments for the same drugs because you know with the the Russian movement with Mm -hmm. the Russian anti-doping scandal uh, of the last couple of years, and then with the you know the WADA, which is the World Anti-Doping Association, sort of allowing them back to some degree. You know, it's, it's very strange. And, you know, we had a Canadian, Becky Scott, who was involved in that as, a, as an athlete representative. And she's, you know, stepped away from the whole WADA movement saying, you guys are, you know, what, what a pile of junk this is. Mm-hmm. You know, so anyway, we're having the same arguments yeah. 30 years later over the same stuff in people's systems. So what, what was accomplished?
1: Yeah. Do you think there'll be a time when it's like, okay, because, I mean, medicine. Uh, and science is is moving to such a degree that now people who um you know get injuries now with with the the, the miracle of medicine and science are able to come back um where if they had that same injury decades ago mm-hmm. it 's the end of their <laughs> career right um you know so we, how is 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 that performance enhancing um, that 's a good question
0: you know what else is too if um It may not even be drugs. So what kind of huge advantage do we have in this so-called, you know, industrialized world where we have a wonderful diet, I can go to a walk-in clinic, I'm going to be my maximum height because I'm getting, I can eat oranges in the middle of winter in Canada. Yeah. uh, And I have, you know, physiotherapy. So I have all these um, beautiful benefits by living in a a country like Canada where you may have someone from a poorer nation. Mm hmm who doesn't have any of that yeah or a coach to train or personal trainer or to, you know so am i just by having a better diet and a better daily life sure. am i uh at a huge advantage, at advantage over someone from a different nation that that yeah. has has none of that or very little of that or is very or a very hard life so is yeah. that unfair I and mean, yeah. we're not even talking about drugs no so, I mean, th- those yeah. are those are questions that, well, yeah. you, you know, you sort of, you know, kick them around the uh, the office a few times and say, oh, I don't know. We always end up back with drugs. And, um, you know, but you're right. I mean, we never did really get, and this is at the Dublin Inquiry too, we never really did get a proper answer about why steroids were banned in the first place. We don't understand, you know, it wasn't sure. really a good, and I'm not saying people should use steroids because I don't think you should take anything that you don't need, but... Yeah. If it's a training tool to get you over an injury, can't you just use it for a short period of time and declare it? What's the it? issue, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe there's... W- so I, I was. it was never very clear as to why steroids were considered a bad thing. And then we heard that some of the fright literature, they were saying, well, if you take steroids, you're going to grow... You know, men are going to grow breasts, and your, your liver is going to get, you know, sure. uh, petrified, or and bad things are going to happen to you. But I'm not sure the medical evidence... Has shown that, mm-hmm. especially with this, probably the relatively small amounts that athletes do use. Yeah. But uh, yeah, again, I'm probably speaking out of turn. Here, so I'm not <laughs> a scientist or researcher, but but none of that happened. You know, like they, I'm not sure that was ever proven by researchers that you know using steroids is is a bad thing for your body. Does he still get a fair shake today? I think people have, because I've, I've, we've talked about this before. Like I think that the public at large is 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 he is very wise like they're they're smart and people can recognize what they would consider maybe unjust unjust circumstances yeah or he was targeted and others were allowed to carry on their lives and and Mm -hmm. over the generations the the cheating is still happening so my long-winded way of saying i think ben is still very popular with a lot of people yeah if we walk down young street with him same thing with George Cheveld. People would say, hey, Ben, where to go? And yeah. I don't think anyone would be, be jeering him. They would shake his hand, and they... I've seen it. Like, they... Take pictures. They and like and him, yes. And, yeah. and he's very personable, and he, he en- enjoys that as well. And people have asked me, well, how does he make a living? I said, well, God, he's always traveling. People are... He, he goes to Japan. He goes to Italy. He goes to the Netherlands people ask them to come over and do things yeah. and, and be there or speak at something. And he's trained.
1: a PK Subban, he's trained. PK
0: Subban, he's got a, you know, a, a line with him and um, and other other people as a personal trainer because yeah. he's not sp- allowed to be a like a, an official coach in yeah. Canada yeah. for track and field anyway. But he's able to uh, you know, make a good living that way. He's, yeah. you know. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, I'd say good for yeah, him. Yeah. You know, he's he I think he's yes, he's he's suffered enough.
1: Yeah. One of the things that Canadians do, I found is we're we love our heroes but we're very quick to jump on our Canadian athletes or musicians or whomever. I mean, I remember when uh George Strombolopoulos was hosting hockey night in Canada. He went right. from, you know, being quote unquote Canada's boyfriend <laughs> if you remember that title that someone gave him, to um like the most one of the most hated people in hockey. You know, because of he's, he wasn't popular. Too, I know his pants were too skinny, or he didn't he, wear a tie, or his socks was, were colored. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. It was we we to, as Canadians, do that to. You know, tear down people,
0: it seems. It, it, it's a funny thing because uh, George actually worked at The Fan as a young guy back when yeah, he had like, yeah. Gino Vanelli hair in oh the my. day, like long curly hair. <laughs> uh, so so George worked at The Fan. And uh, I, I always thought he, I haven't spoken to him in years personally, but I mean, I thought he was a lot of fun. I thought, oh, so they're going to shake up uh, Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, oh, What a good look, you know. I thought that was a good thing. Why not? But it, it, you know, people didn't forty million dollars today or was it yesterday? They did. They got yeah. They got a bunch of cash. They raised. A, they had huge cash infusion. Yeah. What do you what do
1: you think of that? What do you, what do you think of like the Players maybe Tribune maybe and yeah yeah, like yeah the, that, that these, sort of. yeah and especially with with the Athletic you know like all like literally like long form you mm-hmm. need to sit down and have a coffee and, and read just one article and you're finished.
0: Yeah. I think that they're on to something that uh is really good if you if you love uh, love sports and yeah. just love a good read because as we've said that you don't have to just, you know, if if it's going to draw you in as a great story, it it will it doesn't matter if you don't like whatever the sport involved sure. is. Um they've got a great stable of of writers. Uh you know, they paid a lot of money for some of the higher-end guys sure. and, and women to to write for them. Uh, uh, and I was just reading today that they have a subscription renewal rate of 90%. Wow. Which sounds pretty good. But then somebody was just asking about, well, uh, about, you know, will it stand the test of time? Well, I hope it does because, you know, it's a, it's a new way of looking at sport. Yeah. And a new way of looking at journalism, too. And. I, Will it last a long time? I well, I hope it does. Sure. But I know in the past, in the United States, besides Sports Illustrated, there have been efforts in Canada too to have sport-only magazines and paper yep. paper yeah. products. Right? I can't even remember the names of them. Uh, one was called the National, I think, in the U.S. And they had the stable of writers that okay. was really really good. Didn't last that long, you know. So I just don't know if if it's um, uh, in the paper product, might not have been a uh, you know a good thing, but the mm-hmm. way the athletic does their their work now, it's it, it's quite compelling, and I and it's just long form journalism is something that we know at the Star sure. that people like. Yeah. Now whether you've got time to have a second coffee and read <laughs> another and article, yeah. <laughs> but but they but the beauty of. Something like that is if they... I was reading uh, part of that $40 million they've raised for The Athletic is mm-hmm. to uh, put money into analytics, uh, d- data research, audience research, mm-hmm. and, and maybe invest in things like podcasting and... Okay. A video, so a different branch of them, I guess, of their next step of their evolution. Yeah. So, what does that mean? So, maybe they will evolve too. Maybe they'll add sure. things and cut. So, it's quite interesting to see how they're uh, going to manage this, uh, this product. So, I think it's pretty exciting. I mean, journalism has to have a new look, pretty clearly. So. Mm-hmm.
1: What's next for you? Is there certain features that you're interested in writing that you might that you not you haven't gotten around to yet or is there something interesting you're working on now that you might be able to give us a sneak peek at? <laughs> I,
0: well, I I would say that I'm probably st- I still have a little bit of Ben Johnson okay stuff to do. I don't know how long it'll take and I don't know where it will lead. Mm. So I don't want to mislead okay. anybody, but there's still a few things to to oh, scratch. Interesting. At. Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, that's part of the hunt. Yeah, you know, and you've got to decide whether you want to cut bait if it's not going somewhere. Mm. Or d- but there's but but one of the things we mentioned in the story was you know uh, you know in in Switzerland at the IOC headquarters in Lausanne there are should be archived minutes from the the meeting the IOC medical commission had ah. uh, uh, when they were debating whether to disqualify him or not after uh, Richard Pound had uh, tried to defend Ben as mm-hmm. best he could. Um, So those meeting minutes are supposed to be available in January. So we'll see what they say. So that sort of thing I would be keeping an eye on. Yeah, yeah. next, If there is a next chapter for for Ben's story. And right now, um, I'm just sort of in a bit of a, not a fallow period, but (laughs) doing doing some things with uh, maybe another homeless story. I've done some of those in the past that um, have been uh, sort of eye-opening to me. Uh, as a citizen, uh, native of Toronto, um, so there's more of those things that I think I'd like to do as well because it's important.
1: Have we failed as a city in that in the, in the homelessness department?
0: Uh, well. I would say the short answer is yes. If yeah. it's about affordable housing, mm. uh, proper supports for people who, well, wh- whatever they need. There's a whole spectrum of supports. You know, some people have substance abuse issues. Mm. Some people do not. Some people have financial issues. You know, some people, are, you know, uh, are have a disability, uh, unemployed. When you walk through the streets of Toronto, like a lot of cities in North America, you're walking past a lot of homeless men and women, and a lot of them sleep rough. Mm-hmm. You know, they sleep outside. Um, they don't, we don't have enough space in our shelter system to even shelter them for the night properly. Yeah. They're at capacity, and over capacity. It's such a huge, I would say problem, it's a huge challenge that I don't think as a city we're meeting. I don't know if the political will is there or has been for decades. It's easy to blame, you know, the guy in office now. Sure. And, yeah, and, and you should try a little harder, but it's it didn't just start with no, John Tory. No, it just Tory. No. No, this no. Uh, we've had great outreach workers in Toronto for 30, 40 years who have been banging the drum, saying you have to work harder on this. And uh, we're finding now, too, that some of our new Canadians are ending up mm-hmm. uh, on the street, our veterans. That's crazy young younger soldiers on our streets like how is this possible that we're not on top of this and Mm -hmm. we're not there's not enough housing not enough support not enough will to make it happen so yeah we are failing them and it's it's heartbreaking because life on the street even if you have a little bit of housing or you're couch surfing and it's not just the city of Toronto it's you know, 905 area, you've got your mm-hmm. in, invisible homeless. Yeah, yeah, who yeah. You couch surf a little bit, go from place to place. Maybe they're in the park for a while or are in another place. Um, it's not going to get any any easier if mm. we don't tackle it head on. And and the life expectancy for someone on the street is much less than
1: the norm. Mm. Well, we look forward, Mary, <laughs> to... So this is the second podcast I've ended where I feel like we're ending on a low note. I know. I just thinking, well, <laughs> that was a, it was
0: important, but that was really quite of a, a yeah a, a downer. So I'm yeah, sorry about is, no, that. Yeah, but no, but it is
1: important. I think these things we oh, need to as God, a oh God, ever important? You know, uh, tackle and and, and, yeah. and take care of. But if if you wouldn't mind indulging me one more sports question, oh yes, to, to end. Hope off. I can answer it. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, I mean, you you must be a fan of uh, well, I I shouldn't assume, um, but the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Kawhi Leonard now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, leading the charge on on the Raptors. Your your thoughts on 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 him now being one of the main faces of this franchise rather than DeMar DeRozan. Your thoughts on maybe the trade and 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 where the Raptors are going this year? I actually don't know the answer to these <laughs> questions.
0: No, seriously, because when I think of the Raptors, yeah, I think of Damon Stoudemire. Tracy McGrady. Mighty Mouse, yeah. All those guys. Vince Carter. I haven't actually covered them for a long time. and I haven't actually thought about them for a long time. I haven't watched a lot of Raptors, which is, hey, way to have Mary on. Uh, (laughs) That's really great. But I will say with Quai Leonard that I've never seen as much excitement about him coming to town. This yeah, is, this has been something like you know he's he's sort of special. So, there. I just flattened your show again <laughs>
1: with a bad answer. I'm not going to talk about the Leafs because I, I don't. I'm not even a hockey fan. So you're not a hockey fan. I
0: know. Eh? Yeah.
1: I'm. I, I, no.
0: You if don't care Leafs, that Austin Matthews has a sore shoulder.
1: Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a hockey. And it's funny. I'll, I'll be. There'll be. I've gone to a hockey game already. Now, don't ask me if I've paid for the ticket. I will not. <laughs> and I'm going to another one next month and then don't ask me if I paid for that ticket, but you know, business is business. So you have to go to these to go to these things, but I, w- I would definitely pay for a Raptors game. You know,
0: I haven't been to one in a, lo- in a long time, but yeah. I'll tell you, it, for bang for your buck, it is, is quite the sensory overload experience. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun, and it's a very young crowd, and um, more, more diversity than you see at a baseball game, or certainly a hockey game. Yeah. You know, and um, it's just good youthful energy, I think.
1: Are you going to be going back on the fan? Anniversary show?
0: I don't know, actually. I should I should ask them about that. What's the next anniversary? So we have had the I 80th, so maybe the 85th. 85th. Well,
1: that's how
0: old I feel some days, like today. It's past it my hasn't time. been
1: that long. <laughs> it's been a while, though. It's been a while. From, uh, from a, they started great, and then everyone seemed to go on strike, and it was like, oh, my goodness, is there going to be sports radio anymore?
0: Yeah, so they must be around year 27, I would guess. Yeah. 27th. I'm Coming up to thirtieth anniversary at some point soon, so maybe I'll I'll, I'll elbow, the Raptors. I'll elbow my way in. I'll bone I'll up on my Raptors so I don't, you know, fail like I did fail for
1: you. So I'm sorry about that. That's all right. Listen, thank you so much. Thank for you. Coming this is in. great. This, this has been uh, amazing for me. Uh, I hope it's <laughs> well, been, here. I hope it's been good for you. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, and if you want to hear more independent podcasts, check out uh, GirthRadio.com. And a special thank you to the Pacific Junction a hotel bar here at King & Sherbourne in Toronto. Uh, come and check them out. Uh, and if you want to hear more of my conversations, go to kareemkanji.com, and uh, you might want to go check out uh, a few of my conversations with uh, fellow Toronto Star writer Morgan Campbell. You can always follow me on Twitter, at Kareem Kanji. Uh, Mary, I don't know if you want people to follow you or read you. Where, where can they go to know more about what you're doing?
0: Well, uh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not very active. And, uh, and you can email me if you want, mormsby at the star.ca. Awesome.
1: Thanks again for coming
0: in. Thank you so much. This was great.